Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our live webinar. And uh, thanks for joining us for a chat on retirement planning. I'm Dan LeBlanc, joined by my fellow partners, Colin White and Josh Schellick. I wish I could see all of you. It's kind of strange looking at a screen and not seeing who's out there. But in any case, we'll make the best of this. Uh, as we run through the presentation uh, today, we'll be launching a few polls to make this a little bit interactive. And uh, as well, if you have any questions pop up along the way, please send them through the chat box. Catherine is in the background, ready to gather all of your questions, and we will address them at the end of the presentation. Uh, for now, I will pass it over to Colin to get us started. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, I'm gonna do something that uh, would be familiar to those who are used to our in-person presentations. Uh, we normally start with a couple pieces of good news. So, these trying times that we're in, it's good to know that they've actually done a scientific study and people want to help each other even when it costs them something and even when the motivation to help others don't always align, suggested by a new study. I know it's tough to find evidence of that in the news these days, so it's good to know the scientists have gone to work and hey, if you want the link to this or any other information presented today, send us a note, we'll fire it to you. The second piece of good news that I am particularly excited about is the elegant Harlequin toad has been rediscovered by a scientist in New Brunswick, of all places. Gorgeous little thing that we thought to be extinct. It actually has been uh, reappeared, so as if by magic. So as they say, the amphibian apocalypse may be abating. So again, good news. I'm sure if you uh, go on the Fox News website, you will not find either pieces of news uh, represented here. So we thought that uh, they deserved a little bit of uh, breathing room, so we, we've given it to them. So on to our reason for being here today, our time today. So we're going to talk a little bit about pensions, which you know could be in a university level course all on its own, but we're going to hit the high points today. We're going to talk about taxes. Uh, we're going to talk about goals and objectives and flexibility. So these are going to be the various themes that we're going to walk through with regards to retirement planning. So the fundamental principles of retirement planning are not, you know, and that's going to be the kind of conversation we're going to have today. So it's not a deep dive in any one area. So we're not going to get into a deep dive on budgeting or, you know, the, all the nuances of a particular kind of pension plan. That's beyond the reach of what we're trying to put forward today. What we're going to try to do is adjust or address some of the fundamental misconceptions we find that people commonly hold uh, that get in the way of doing proper uh, retirement planning. Now, retirement planning at its core is simple. You know, you want to live the best life possible as you choose to define it. So, you know, that is the best way that we've come up with summarizing, you know, what people are trying to do in retirement. But it's not easy. And, you know, the best way to describe where the uh, lack of ease comes from is that every individual is a collection of their life experiences, the people around them, their education, and that forms into a, a murky soup that is used to make these decisions with. So what we're going to try to do is untangle some of these misconceptions and myths about retirement and try to give you a bit of better perspective, a better framework to guide your decision making either pre-retirement or if you're already in retirement. Now, we have a, a numbers guru on the team. Josh, whenever we have these conversations, runs off and finds all kinds of interesting numbers. So uh, we're going to throw it to Josh in a second, but before we do that, we're gonna launch a poll 
one of our interactive tools that we are able to use with this new technology. And we want to hear from you as to what is your biggest retirement concern? Now, I will tell you that one of these uh, answers was put on there mainly to amuse us. Uh, so you know, we're interested to see how many are, are, are looking forward to the uh, cocktail in retirement. So uh, Josh, are we getting a good uptake on this? Yeah, it seems like uh, the afternoon crowd is a little bit more keen on their cocktails than the the uh, the lunchtime crowd. So that's good to see. There you go. See, it's a time of day thing. Yeah, it's five o'clock somewhere. And Colin, you've been meeting with clients for multiple decades now on this type of question exactly. So, what do you find as a common uh, refrain from people when they're looking at their retirement? Well, that's a difficult one, Josh, because you know there's a, uh, people tend to have a recency bias. So whatever's happened most recently is what they carry with them uh, most importantly. So I'm dealing with somebody who's gone into retirement and there's been a, a health issue somewhere close to them. That tends to be their their most important uh, concern. You know, at times like this with the market volatility, that's happened fairly recently. So people will tend to to, to have that at the top of their anxieties. So has it been borne out? Oh, there we go. We have a much better or much different outcome to this poll. Yeah, it's interesting to see uh, the contrast versus our poll earlier when a lot more people were concerned about the market volatility. Yeah. So continuing on with the presentation here, as Colin suggested, uh, I'm going to take you through some of the numbers that we're, we're seeing in the world today and, and explain how that impacts uh, what your retirement reality is. And it's great that you made the point, Colin, that uh, retirement planning is not easy because we've seen a lot of things in our life get easier over the years. Retirement planning, definitely not one of them. And the primary reason, people are living longer today than they ever have in history. If you look at this graph here, going back about 100 years, the life expectancy in around the, uh, the time of 1920 was about 60 years. Uh, this is for Canadians. Uh, if you look today, uh, around the the, uh, the period of time 2020, we have a life expectancy around the age of 80 years. So that's a pretty substantial increase over just about a century of time. And just to throw some more numbers at you, from the perspective of an average 65-year-old couple. So the average 65-year-old today has a life expectancy of about 19 years. So that brings you to your age 84 year. And that's just an average. 50% of people are going to live longer than that average. If you're a healthy individual who's 65, you can expect to live longer than this average. Uh, there's also a greater than 40% likelihood that at least one of a 65-year-old couple is going to live past the age of 90. So if you're 65 uh, to 90, you can do some easy math there and determine that that's 25 years that you're likely going to have to plan for. Uh, taking this a bit further, the average Canadian senior is spending about $12,000 a year just on healthcare, and that number's gone up substantially uh, over the past couple decades. And kind of bringing this full circle, on the investment side of things, if you're looking for a guaranteed type of investment, a 10-year Government of Canada bond today is yielding about 0.5%, getting you about 0.5% per year uh, in terms of a return. So I will tie this all together in a couple slides here. Inflation is also still a real thing. 
despite the fact that we don't have nearly the same level of inflation that we had back in the 80s, and maybe that's reflected in the poll that we had just a few slides ago, people aren't very concerned about inflation these days. If you go back to, to the year 2000, uh, we are looking at a basket of goods and services here that cost about $100 in the year 2000. That same basket of goods and services costs about $143 today. So that's a 43% increase uh, in the cost of living, essentially, over the course of about, uh, of about 20 years, which is kind of your standard retirement time frame. So healthcare, that's going up a lot more than your average inflation. Uh, big screen TVs, high def TVs, computers, going up uh, slower than the pace of inflation on average, but that's not going to help you too much uh, in your retirement years, I don't think. So a question that I'm going to throw out there to the audience is, do you know how the retirement age of 65 came to be when it first started showing up in, uh, in the world? Uh, you can yell at your, your spouse or somebody in the next room, maybe your dog if you're, if you're all alone. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, the age of 65 sh uh, first showed up in history from what we can tell in 1883 Germany. Uh, at that time, the life expectancy was about 40 years. <clears throat> kind of bringing something closer to home, give you a little bit more perspective from Canada. Uh, Canada introduced universal old age security in the year 1971. And that was for those aged 70 and older. The life expectancy for Canadians in 1971 was 69 years. So they're giving you OAS at 70, but you're only expected to live to 69. Uh, something doesn't quite add up there. So the reality of retirement is completely different today than it has been at any time in the past. 50 years ago, you know, 1970, you're probably working for mostly one employer most of your life. You probably have a decent pension. You're retiring at 65 with five years to go, uh, life expectancy, and you have government bonds yielding about 8%. That's pretty good. Pretty simple uh, retirement plan for you. Turn it to 2020. And people are switching jobs every few years. You might have pensions from a whole bunch of different places or no pension at all uh, because a lot of employers aren't offering any pension today. You're retiring at 65, maybe a little bit earlier if you're lucky. You're living to your 80s or 90s. You're healthy when you retire, so you want to still be active, spending money, doing things, and bond yields are yielding less than 1% doesn't give you a great deal of confidence. And Colin, I want some guarantees. What can you do to help help give me some guarantees? Well, I can quote Clint Eastwood to you, who was one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies that I can't even name. Hey, you want a guarantee? Buy a toaster. Toaster don't work, I'll give you another, another toaster. The, the, the challenge is, is that we're looking for those guarantees. We're looking for those safe bets. And you know, the complex area of retirement planning really doesn't lend itself to that. Now that's not terrible news, that's just a thing. You know? So if your expectation is you're gonna be able to somehow do this in a guaranteed fashion, you're likely gonna have some disappointments, right? So you know, what we encourage people to do is plan for a greater range of uncertainties and make, be ready to make adjustments and be flexible based on what happens. And we're gonna go through some of the different aspects of retirement that have varying degrees of flexibility and abilities to respond to things. So we're going to talk about the different kinds of pension plans. Now, this is a topic that could lend itself to its own presentation. It could be hours long if we really wanted to get into it. So we're just going to hit this at 30,000 feet for the time being. 
So one of the type of pension plans is kind of old school now, you'd almost call it a bit of a relic from a bygone era, is a defined benefit plan. The only place you really see these now are in government organizations or uh, very, very large companies. The way you can tell that you've got a defined benefit pension plan is there's a formula based on how long you work that gives you a set payment at a retirement date. So if your statement on your pension talks about years of service and a formula generating what the benefit is, you have a defined benefit plan. So that the definition of benefit, a lot of people take that as something that is guaranteed. That's my thing. Caution a little bit in that you know, there is a funding mechanism behind these things and the employees of Nortel found out that maybe their pension wasn't quite as rock solid as they would have otherwise thought. Don't want to panic anybody, don't want to say that they're bad, but I'm just saying that when we meet a client who's planning to spend every last nickel of every pension check, you know, they're leaving themselves open to having some disruption at some point in retirement. The second kind of pension that you're going to come across is a defined contribution pension plan. So the way that you can tell that you've got a defined contribution plan is that your statement will show what your contribution was, what your employer's contribution was, the performance of the account, and what the balance is. Mm -hmm. Now, the beauty of this is that you have transparency. At any moment in time, you know what is there. So that is a great thing to plan from. This kind of pension also comes with, typically, investment choices. So if you do have a defined contribution pension plan, and they give you a sheet saying, pick one of these 57 options, you can pick up the phone and call us, we'll help you with that. Because the, the sponsors of those plans typically provide very little personalized help on making those choices. And it's one of the things that we can help you with. Now a defined contribution pension plan tends to end up in an RSP or an RSP-like vehicle, so it has more flexibility to it. Because where life doesn't go in a straight line, you know, there's a bit of benefit there to being able to you know, make changes as you go along. And there are other sources of income, and you know, this, you know, this category can include a lot of things, but rental income is one of the things that we run across quite often for clients in retirement. We're planning that a rental income is gonna make up some of their retirement you know, money that they're gonna spend on their lifestyle. Now, in those situations, they're all very unique. You know, we tend to do the math to figure out, hey, what kind of rate of return are we expecting? off of this investment compared to the alternatives and what kind of risks are you taking? You know, what are the maintenance costs and all that kind of stuff? You know, I have a bias towards simplicity in retirement. As you get older, you don't want to deal with stuff quite so much. So, you know, that also factors into the equation. So those are just some of the sources of income. You know, and again, we've excluded you know, the RIFs and the savings accounts and things of that nature. But, you know, we wanted to go through talking with some of the pensions and the, the rental income at this juncture. Now, I'm going to pull another poll is due up here. I'm sorry, I'm just checking my notes. So, Josh, you want to watch the poll? Coming right at you, Colin. There we go. So do you know when you plan to start withdrawing from your RRSP? See how confident people are. It's a yes, no question. And, Yes, no answers, but it's a, the answer often is it depends. Seems like the poll results are reflecting exactly that, Colin. Uh, a lot of uncertainty out there from a lot of people, kind of right down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And the others, if you think you know now, you better reserve the right to change your mind. 
So I'll close the poll off here and share the results with everybody. Well, there we go. We have, we have a relatively confident group. That's good to see. Well, one of the things that's going to go into that calculation is going to be your government pensions. And uh, Dan has changed the lighting in his office this afternoon, so that glint off his head's not quite as bad, so he's, he's much more visible. So I'm going to pass this off to Handsome Dan to talk about uh, Canada Pension and Old Age Security. It's all in the shade control, Colin. The shades behind me need to be shut down to stop the glare. There you uh, go. Thanks for pointing that out. So I'm just going to touch briefly on our government pension options, and the question on the RSP withdrawal it kind of ties in a little bit of what I'm going to talk about here in terms of the planning aspect of it. Um, but on the on the Canada Pension Plan side, uh, you know, despite the plan having been around for 55 years, there still are some common unknowns out there about the plan. So I'm just going to touch briefly, like I said, and uh, starting out on pointing a few uh, key uh, observations with the CPP. And the first one is uh, something that most people might be aware of is that the standard uh, start age for the pension is 65. However, there is an option to, to take an early pension as early as age 60. Or what may be lesser known is that there's an option to defer the pension as late as age 70. But it's also important to understand and consider the adjustments associated with an early pension or a deferred pension. Like I'm pointing out here in the slide, for an early pension, for every month prior to age 65 uh, that you choose to take an early pension, there's a 0.6% reduction to that pension. That means that if you take a pension to CPP at 60, you would be receiving 36% less than your expected pension at 65. So that can be a considerable amount. On the other side of it, if you choose to defer your pension up to age 70, there's a 0.7% enhancement. So the math works out that if you choose to take your CPP at age 70 rather than 65, you would see a 42% enhancement above your expected pension at age 65. So on the other side, that is quite substantial. If you consider the difference between 60 and 70, it is quite a large difference. So the big question that we get asked quite often is when should I start my CPP? And the honest answer, it depends. You know, what's right for your neighbor, what, what was right for the friend that you're having a coffee with may not be the right thing for you. And the things that you need to consider are things such as your personal finances, uh, your current health, your life expectancy, and your tax situation. So from a personal financial perspective, uh, your, your personal finances, uh, you know, if you draw CPP now, or, or is your current cash flow when you get to age 60, uh, are you running short every month? Are you running up your credit cards? Or if you start drawing CPP, will it just accumulate in your bank account as excess cash flow? Uh, from a health perspective, uh, perspective and life expectancy, everybody's going to come at this with a different lens, you know, based on your family experience. And from a personal tax side of it, you know, Considering how much of your pension is going to go away in taxes is important, an important consideration. And what's your current tax rate versus your future tax rate? So these are all important considerations. And as you can see, some of it is personal perspective and some of it is just pure math. The math is quite easy. Uh, that's something we love to work with, just working with numbers and, and plotting things out. Uh, what this slide is showing you is uh, the choice you have to make with at what age you start drawing your CPP and what might be your optimal starting point based on an expected age of death. 
So obviously we're not born with a with an expiry date stamped on our backside. You know, we don't know how long we're gonna live, but applying some basic perspectives such as, you know, your life expectancy, your family history, uh, those are all part of what goes into this consideration. So we did have a few people on that poll earlier that said they were concerned about choosing, uh, making the right choice for cocktail hour. Uh, so those people may be more inclined to start taking their CPP in their early retirement years uh, so that they have a little bit of extra cash flow in their younger, healthier retirement days. But there's also a portion that responded uh, that they're concerned about outliving their, the, their resources. So maybe that section would be more inclined to wait to a later year to draw their CPP. What this chart is telling you is that if you draw your CPP uh, at eight, or if your life expectancy is less than 70, say between 61 and 69, you would do better by drawing your CPP starting at age 60. But if your life expectancy is beyond age 86, then you may do better if you defer till age 70. Now, this is just math. This is not putting in perspective, you know, your uh, do you need the cash flow early, what your life expectancy is based on family history and all those things. So this is just one of the categories that we look at in making a CPP decision. So the first step is for you to get those numbers. If you have not reached, and I should say, if you're if you've already if you're already in the in the stage where you're collecting Canada Pension Plan, this obviously that doesn't apply to you in, in its entirety. Uh, but if you're not there yet and you're contemplating when to start, the first thing you need to do is get your numbers, and that's where Service Canada comes in. So you can walk into a local Service Canada office, you can give them a call, or what's easier these days is just to go retrieve the information online. You can register at My Service Canada account, and if you need help and guidance in doing that, we can certainly help. So on to old age security. So OAS is a little more simplified than the CPP in the sense that anybody who's lived in Canada for 40 years between age 18 and 65 will get the maximum amount and it's the same number for everybody. So there's there's less decision making from that perspective. But there's still a consideration as to when to start. And similar to CPP, the standard age to start is 65. There is no option for an early pension like the CPP offers, but there is an option to defer as late as age 70. And the enhancement on the old age security plan is a 0.6% increase for every month past age 65 that you choose to defer. So this certainly is a consideration. Uh, so when sh should you start? The same key considerations as mentioned in the CPP, your personal finances, your health, your life expectancy, and taxes. But without OAS, there's a greater emphasis on taxation. And the reason for that is what we refer to as uh, the minimum income recovery threshold or what's referred to as the clawback. We know that in 2020, uh, anybody receiving full OAS will get $7,362. But we also know that if your income is going to exceed $79,054, some of that old age security will be clawed back by the government when you file your tax return. So this is an important consideration. Uh, if you're in retirement receiving OAS, it's important to consider it if you're planning on maybe selling a rental property that could trigger a large capital gain, or maybe there's a business transition that's gonna uh, 
have you see a spike in your income for one particular calendar year. Uh, and if your income exceeds 128,000, then the entirety of your OAS would be called back. If you're not yet at the point of receiving your OAS and you're contemplating a starting date, if you foresee your income exceeding this threshold, the $79,054, then there's a good argument to defer and wait to draw your OAS on, uh, to a later date, whether it's 66, 67, or all the way to 70. Uh, certainly something to keep in mind. If you're going to collect the OAS only to see it completely clawed back, there's a benefit to defer and get that 0.6% enhancement for every month past the age 65. So on, uh, yeah, so the next slide, we're just looking at a plotted graph similar to what we uh, looked at for CPP. Again, we can look at an optimal point in time when you should start taking it. Uh, again, this is pure math. It's just looking at the numbers. Uh, we can determine that if you defer to age 70 and you live beyond age 83, you will have collected the most that you can out of the old age security program. But if, you, or if your life expectancy is less than 78, then you should start taking it at 65. So this is just a very basic conclusion that we can get with uh, some basic math. And that's a quick little overview on our government benefits. I will then pass it over to Josh to expand a little bit on some tax money. Sure, thanks, Dan. And Dan mentioned tax a whole bunch of times in that overview of the pensions. And nobody really wants to pay more tax than they have to. Unfortunately, your tax situation can actually become more complicated in retirement than in your working years. In, in your working years, you often have one source of income, that's your salary or your employment income. In retirement, we just covered a whole bunch of different sources of income. It could be your defined benefit, your defined contribution, could be for multiple employers, CPP, OAS, LIF income, RIF income, uh, a whole host of acronyms to describe the different sources of income that you have. Plus you have things to consider like your OAS clawback on top of that. So uh, it's often pretty challenging and there's often a bit of a balancing act between your tax burden now versus your tax burden in the future or at death. And we can certainly help with that. Uh, we have a lot of tax knowledge on the team to, to support you in, in making some of these decisions. There is also uh, a difference between your pre-retirement income and your, your post-retirement income. You shouldn't assume that just because you had X amount of dollars of income before retirement that you need that same amount of income post-retirement to uh, attain the same uh, standard of living. There are a lot of differences, uh, little nuances to the tax uh, situation in the pre and post retirement uh, setup. Pre retirement, you have a lot more deductions, things like your CPP, your EI, your RSP contributions, maybe. Post retirement, you have income splitting, you have a lot more tax credits, whether it's an old age credit or a pension credit. So there are nuances there to consider before you make uh, an exact decision on what type of income, what level of income you need to achieve the, the level uh, uh, standard of living that you're looking for. It's going to take a bit of finessing to make sure you're hitting the right point and we're happy to help with that. Just to make sure we cover off both of life's supposed certainties, we, we have to cover the, the estate planning side of things as well. Tax planning creates a natural bridge to the estate planning conversation because, as I, I kind of alluded to on the previous slide, there, uh, there's a trade-off between maximizing your after-tax income today 
versus your after-tax assets available to your estate. And we can help pull the different levers uh, to find that right balance between these two. Maybe your sole goal is to just maximize the amount to your beneficiaries, and that's great. We'll pull the lever over here. If, on the other hand, you want to spend every last dime, then we can pull this lever over here to make sure that's happening in the most efficient way uh, as possible. Uh, something that's often overlooked uh, when it comes to estate planning is life insurance and the ability to save you uh, on taxes or to, to have a tax-deferred asset or a tax-free asset, rather, there for you. It may be that your estate goals are providing for your grandkids' education, uh, perhaps keeping a cottage in the family, or even charitable giving. Uh, life insurance can often help with these things. It's not just something that's meant for income replacement during your working years. One thing we should emphasize is that when you're 90 uh, on your deathbed, that's not the time to start doing some estate planning. It's often too late by that point. Typically, we need a little bit of a runway to be able to implement some of the strategies and, and, and uh, that you're looking for to accomplish the goals that you want to achieve. <clears throat> and before I kick it back to Colin here, I, I get a, I'm going to uh, end you with a, a poll, our third poll here, uh, our third poll on um, whether you want the CRA to be the largest beneficiary of your estate. Should be an easy one for you, I hope. I think I know where most of the responses are going to come in here. Yeah, I think this is a leading question, Josh. Uh, but you know, hey, I'm not a poll expert, so. Well, I think if anybody answers yes to this one, we're we're going to have to have them. Uh, we're going to have to have a sit down with them and make sure that they have their priorities straight. Absolutely. So fortunately. We don't have to have to sit down with anybody specifically on, on this topic. So looks like everybody is choosing choosing the, uh, the right answer there. So Colin, things are going to change along the way. Isn't that right? Help me out here. Oh, no, absolutely. Now, this is where I think Catherine, our graphics person, is making fun of me because, you know, giving me a nice yoga pose to, to talk about this, I think is a little mean-spirited, but I'll talk to her about that later. But you know the, the point of, of, of this particular slide, of this particular topic, is is that you're going to change. You know, you're going to continue to grow. The maturation process and your priorities are going to change throughout retirement. Let it happen. Don't think that you know when you walk out the door for the last day of work that you're going to be. Yeah, this is exactly what I want. I know exactly what I want, and you know I'm not going to ever change. That's not realistic. That's not fair. You know, if you're fortunate enough in retirement to you know have your first grandchildren enter the world that that can be a game changer over you know over three decades of, of working with with dozens and dozens of, of people going through this arc it's 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 amazing you know how much growth and change happens on an individual level between the time you give up work and you know to the rest of your life expectancy so you know retirement planning is not something that stays done you shouldn't expect it to stay done and you know it it's okay to reconsider your objectives from time to time. One of the services we provide is moderated conversations between husband and wife. As people in retirement who are retired together will often have trouble having some of these conversations, and we have whistles in all of our offices to referee all those conversations. So uh, something else to keep in mind. The second thing that's going to change is the world. And this is where we talk about recency bias again. Now, we're going through a, a one in a billion year event right now according to some of the smart mathematicians again i have trouble with that because well you know 
Uh, I don't think we've been around too many billions of years to do that kind of math. But you know, the point is, when you see a global pandemic or things of this nature happen, you know, that is going to affect your retirement. It would affect your work life. It it, it just affects life, and that's that's a fact of life. Big things are going to happen. Now, the danger is you don't want to have a plan that presupposes global calamities every year because that's probably not realistic. But to have a plan that is not flexible enough to roll with the punches when things like this happen, that's not a good idea either. So you want to make sure that you find that, you know, that middle ground, right? And when things like this happen, and this, this pandemic has been a great opportunity for many people to hit a reset on a whole bunch of levels. I've had a conversation with my 18-year-old daughter about hitting a reset because her whole life got up in it. She couldn't hang out with her friends, spend the money the way she used to. So she had time and space to sit down and reconsider things. You know, for those people who like to travel a lot, that's fantastic. That's not happening right now. So you can reconsider that, you know. So it's an interruption that allows some reflection and maybe reprioritizing some things. So there are things in the world that are going to continue to change outside your, you know, your sphere of control. And, you know, that's okay. So speaking of control, and, you know, this is where we take a little bit of a different approach maybe than some of the other uh, you know, people who talk about financial planning. Because what everybody wants to hear is it's going to be okay. It's all under control. And that's a very good thing to believe in. But it just sets you up for disappointment. I worked with a chef back in my school days in a kitchen who used to mutter a phrase over and over again when things got really busy. He stole it from the twilight zone. It's a control, the ability to manipulate any situation so the inevitable outcome is the one which you desire. Control. Every man wants it. No man has it. I'm Rod Sterling. And you know that has resonated with me my entire life because everybody wants it, nobody has it, but that's okay. You can alter your plans, the human condition is such that you can change what you're doing in a thoughtful way and react to whatever the world throws at you. And Josh is going to come at us with some mad math and some wonderful numbers to, to make this point for us even a little bit better. Yes, so just some surprising numbers that I found when doing some research for this presentation. And one of them is that only about 40% of retirees know their retirement date more than a year in advance of when they actually retire. So this tells me one of two things. Either A, people aren't planning for their retirement, which I find hard to believe because I have people my age that are already planning to retire. Or two, people's plans are getting derailed somewhere along the way, and what they think is going to be the retirement is not actually going to be so. Catherine, before the presentation started, was telling me about her dad, who's actually retired three times. So to Colin's point, uh, things are going to change, and you can roll with it and adapt uh, as we go along. The other thing that I found fascinating was that uh, if you ask a pre-retiree pre if they're going to work in retirement, 50% of them, based on this survey, would tell you that yes, they will do some work in retirement. In reality, when you interview retirees, only 11% of them are actually working. So again, there's a, a, a difference, uh, a disconnect somewhere along the way between what people think their retirement is going to look like and what it actually looks like. But we've been throwing a lot of numbers at you. Retirement in reality is not all about finance and math. The finance and math are simply a means to the end and some stuff that Dan Cullen and I like playing with on a Friday afternoon over a beer. 
because you worked really hard for 40 years. And the real question is, how do you want to spend your time? Do you want to focus more on your health and wellness? Could be playing more golf, could be spending more time with family. That's a common one. Uh, the bottom line is most people outside of our line of work, they don't really have too much fun with the planning. So your goal is to think really hard about what's really important to you. And let's talk about how we can make that a reality. What we don't want you to do or spend any time thinking about what we consider some common mistakes. Uh, one of them is watching what others are doing. We did not give you a blueprint for success today. Colin kind of alluded to it at the outset. We're not going to give you a step-by-step -step plan on how to, how to have a successful retirement. And the reason is that looks like a, a different thing for everybody. You're not going to find out what a successful retirement looks like by watching what others do, by having a beer with your friends and talking to them about it, by reading the newspaper, a couple columns there, by looking on social media. A lot of this needs to be individual uh, because that's what it is. It's, it's, uh, it's for your retirement. We've kind of reiterated multiple times here the idea of uncertainty and kind of hammered this point home. It's not to, to scare you or make you afraid of what your retirement is going to look like, uh, but it is to make sure that you're not too overconfident about what's going to happen. Because to think that your retirement is going to exist without adjustments along the way, uh, just not reality. <clears throat> and of course, the last point there, we as humans have some inherent behavioral biases, things that influence the way that we think and act that are not always the most rational. Colin talked about the global pandemic and travel plans. One of those biases is recency bias. The uh, idea that what's happened recently, you project that into the future and think that that's going to happen in perpetuity. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure we're not gonna have a global pandemic every year for the rest of your retirement years. So let's not say you're never going to travel internationally ever again because of the pandemic that we're experiencing now. That's something that I've been hearing from clients a couple times over the last couple months. This whole thing, it's kind of like navigating a ship. You kind of plot your course to begin with. You know where you want to get to. Uh, you know there are probably going to be some adjustments needed along the way, but as long as you've planned for some of these things and, and have the, the right um, adjustments in mind, these adjustments are going to be marginal along the way, and they're not actually going to derail accomplishing your goals or actually getting to your destination. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. We've talked a lot about how retirement has changed, what hiccups you may experience along the way. You're going to be facing a lot of uncertainties. You're going to be dealing with them, trying to make sense of them all. Professional advice can help. That's why we're here. We're really happy to walk this uncertain path with you, uh, give you some help along the way, uh, and make sure you get to where you're trying to get to. And you know where to find us for this. So I'm going to kick it over now to the question master, Colin. Have anything uh, pent up in the questions there, Colin? Well, you know, I, I think question master should come with a T-shirt or something. That sounds kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so I think we've triggered something here a little bit uh, for conversation, talking about you know going in and out of retirement. So, so one of the questions that uh, has come into us here, I'll just starting to line up a little bit. Um, how would my, a decision to go back to work or unretire or fail at retiring uh, go? look with regards to Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security. So Dan, that's right in your wheelhouse, why don't you take that one? Sure. Um, so if that decision comes very 
soon after triggering your Canada Pension Plan at Bolte Security, and by soon I mean within six months, then you do have the ability to go back to Service Canada and have them uh, stop your payments of Canada Pension and Old Age Security, but you only have that six month window. You do have to pay back to them what they've paid you over that six month period, uh, but you can stop them and then they will, uh, you'll benefit from that enhancement that we talked about or uh, less of a reduction depending on what age you're, you're at. Uh, so that is one option and simply considering uh, what are your total sources of income? You know, what is that return to work employment income going to going to look like uh, compared to the other sources and maybe there are some tax planning opportunities to use RSPs uh, you know the, there's so many varied options that we could get into here that um, I don't want to ramble on but I'll say there, there are some options if you're past the six month uh, period that you've been receiving CPP and OAS and unfortunately you cannot stop those you only have that six month uh, window um, after that, then there may be some other considerations. Really, uh, you really need to understand well, what tax rate will be applicable to that employment income. If you're still collecting CPP OAS, will you be in that OAS clawback uh, situation that we talked about? So, um, and those are just a few initial thoughts and every situation is unique and specific. And if you have any uh, specific questions around that, then we can drill down a little bit deeper. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that, Dan, is that, you know, again, the tax tail wagging the dog is something we talk about sometimes. Uh, in my professional career, I've never met somebody with employment income uh, outside of a corporate structure where actually working and earning money made that they uh, had less money at the end of the day. You know, we're just talking about minimizing the tax bite on these things. Uh, you know, the, the decision to go back to work can be about social, it can be about money, it can be about other things, but I've never seen it work out that somebody actually has less money uh, for going back to work. Um, we do have a follow-up question, then I'll throw this one to Dan as well, uh, but income splitting, CPP and OIS. Um, so the quick one is on the old age security. There is no splitting option, although old age security. Uh, every individual will receive, if they qualify for OAS, will receive their pension, and that cannot be split in any way, uh, either at source or through the tax return. The Canada Pension Plan is a different is a different thing. Uh, if you're one of a uh, two of a couple, uh, if you're married or common law, and you're both collecting Canada Pension, but one spouse is receiving a much greater amount than the other, then you can go to Service Canada and ask them to share each of the pensions so that you're equalizing the amount that each is receiving. Uh, so that helps on the tax side of it. it. It doesn't change the total amount that is received by the couple, but it will change the taxation of it and may add to some benefit there. Uh, just to maybe add one point, if you do share the CPP and one of the spouses passes away, then the surviving spouse's CPP will revert back to what they would have received as an individual. All right, thanks for that, Dan. I think that concludes our questions for now, but hey, we're not going anywhere. As the old country western song says, I might be leaving, but I ain't going nowhere. Uh, we're around to answer questions. If you uh, 
anything here is triggered that you want to review in your personal circumstances, by all means, uh, please, please reach out to us and we're looking for feedback because uh, we rely heavily on feedback and making decisions on the topics and uh, conversations that we will do in future webinars. Thanks for attending everybody. Happy Canada Day. Thank you. Have a great night.